This podcast is brought to you by Aetna. Learn how Aetna is working to build a healthier world by visiting aetnastory.com. People are yearning for information, having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Trisha and I are thrilled that our friend, Dr. Patrick Hu, is here with us today from MD Anderson Hospital. Dr. Hu is a leading tumor immunologist, probably the leading tumor immunologist in the world. So it's such our pleasure to have you such here, a- Dr. Hu. So thank th- you welcome for to Health us. Gig. Yes. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm really excited to be here tonight. <laughs> so Dr. Hu is our friend. We have a personal relationship with Dr. Who because he treated Trisha's husband yes. at MD Anderson, mm-hmm. as well as he, our relationship is that he was a speaker mm-hmm. at the Achieving Optimal Health Conference, which uh, one of our most popular most speakers, popular for I sure. might add. <laughs> but um, we just wanted our listeners just to know a little bit about you. So can you tell us where you grew up and and a little bit about that? And then what led you to the world of cancer? Great. Well, I grew up in West Virginia. Most people don't guess that, but <laughs> it was a lovely place to, to grow up. I uh, studied in, in Philadelphia uh, and then Baltimore, and then uh, I, I spent a lot of time in Bethesda, Maryland at the National Cancer Institute. I was always interested in studying the body's immune response against cancer, and so that's what I focused on for over 25 years now. Wow, and that was way before anybody was even talking about immunotherapy. Is that right? Uh, Exactly right, uh, Tricia. It was when people really didn't believe that the immune response could fight cancer. Only a few people did. And and so it was a lonely time in science for a few years. But now uh, it's very clear that the immune response can have a major effect on cancer. And it's uh, inducing really wonderful responses in some patients. But we still have to work hard on other patients because it's not working in everybody yet. And can you explain what is immunotherapy exactly? Yeah, that's a great question. Immunotherapy is utilizing the body's immune system to fight the cancer. The main kind of cell we use to do that is called a T cell. A T cell is a cell in the body that everybody has, a bunch of T cells. They're usually used to fight viruses, but we're trying to use those T cells to fight cancer. These T cells can touch cancer, and when they recognize the cancer, they can release proteins called enzymes to poke holes in the membrane of the cancer cell and cause the cancer cell to explode. We call that apoptosis. So then the the T cell can go to another cancer cell, touch it, and cause it to explode. And so the T cell can cause damage to a lot of cancer cells and can cause very large tumors to shrink down. And so that's essentially what we're trying to do. We're trying to use the body's mechanism to fight viruses to fight cancers instead. Mm. Why does it work in some people and not in others? Do we know why? Some tumor types are much more immunogenic. They're very easily recognized by the immune system. They look like viruses. For example, melanoma, because it's caused by damage from the sun that causes a lot of changes in our DNA 
we call those mutations, that makes the cancer cell look very funny to the immune system. So the immune system can easily recognize a lot of melanomas. That's a kind of cancer that starts in the skin. But other cancers look very much like our normal organs. And so it's much harder for the immune system to recognize them as foreign. They don't look like viruses. Mm-hmm. And in those cases, are you going to keep pursuing immunotherapy for those? Or are you going to sort of blend different treatments and use immunotherapy for here? Or you know what I mean? It's, or is it just the beginning of immunotherapy in these other cancers? I think we're going to do a combination of both. We're going to use all kinds. We need to have all hands on deck against mm-hmm. cancer. Cancer is many different things. Any normal organ in our body can become a cancer cell. We can have liver cancer from our liver cells, colon cancer from our colon cells, for example, lung cancer from our lung cells. So we have many different kinds of cancers and we're probably going to be treating them with many different combinations, but we're really working hard on trying to take what we've learned from the easier to treat tumors like melanoma That used to be a really hard one, but now in some patients, we can get great responses because it's so readily recognized by the immune system. We're trying to take those findings into other kinds of cancers like pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. So when you use immunotherapy, is it just strictly immunotherapy that you use on a cancer patient or do you use the other therapies like chemotherapy at the same time? So we use many different kinds of therapy. Sometimes we'll start with chemotherapy, and if that doesn't work, we'll go to immunotherapy. And sometimes we'll start with the immunotherapy, and sometimes we use them in combination. Hmm. So one of our therapies, for example, is trying to grow immune cells from the tumor itself, because in a lot of cancers, the immune cells are trying to do the job, but obviously not doing a good enough job because the cancer is growing. So we've learned to grow those immune cells out of the tumors to very large numbers, and we give those back. That's an experimental therapy we call TIL therapy, tumor infiltrating lymphocyte therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've treated a lot of patients with melanoma that way, but now in a, a few months, we're going to be treating our first patients with pancreatic cancer with that technique. So we're real excited oh, about that's that. That's really incredible. Really incredible. So how much when, when, when people say, why did I get cancer? Why, you know, what did I do? What do you answer to that? Yeah, most of the times we don't know what causes Mm -hmm. the majority of cancers. We know it increases the risk. So for melanoma that starts on the skin, a lot of times it's sunburns. For other kinds of skin cancers like basal cell cancer or squamous cell cancer, it's total lifetime exposure to the sun. And those are easier to treat if you catch them early. Others, we know lung cancer is caused largely by smoking and other cancer types are, you can have a predisposition from obesity and other things, but there's no clear line of sight for how it was caused. So, but two things we can all do is make sure people don't smoke, make sure people don't get sunburned. And the third thing is, is to try to avoid obesity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because those are all put you at higher risk. Yeah, they all do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the things we love most about you, Dr. Who, is that you are a doctor, you are an immunologist, but you also take into consideration preventive care and you're integrative, really. Would you say that's true? Yes, it is. And and, and it kind of surprises me because I started out a hard-hitting scientist who thought all this other stuff is not valid, but then I figured out over the years that it's actually probably very powerful medicine. 
Mm. So what are some of the preventive treatments you recommend to patients? So one thing is what we eat. Every patient asks me, almost every patient asks me, so what should I eat? Mm-hmm. That's a hard one because we really don't have enough data and a lot of the, the studies are not are flawed. So it's hard to know. We don't have enough information yet to definitively tell someone what they should eat. That being said, one of the ways we try to find cancer is to radiolabel sugar molecules because cancers love sugar. Mm. We've known that for many years and every year we find out more and more reasons why cancer uses sugar. They use sugar to make all sorts of molecules that are good for them. So one thing I recommend is to cut down sugar, cut down free sugar. Of course, you know, I recommend everybody never put actual sugar in your coffee or your tea or anything Mm -hmm. like that. But also carbohydrates can be turned into sugar. Regular bread that you would eat just gets readily turned into sugar in the body. So I generally recommend low carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At the conference, you showed us a video and it was watching the cancer cell eat the sugar. Can you talk about that? (laughs) You know that video you showed at the beginning? Yeah, that was a cancer cell, the T cell eating the cancer cell by by doing what I call the kiss of death. The T cell touches the cancer cell, and I call that the kiss of death. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's right. The cancer cell explodes. Uh, But I did show a slide of of sugar and how all the things that a cancer cell likes about sugar. It makes protective molecules for the cancer cell. It helps make the bricks and mortar that cancer cells need to divide. So it does a lot of good things for the cancer cell, which is bad for the patient. So that's why I'm always telling the patients, granted, we don't have all the data we need, but I'm telling them to cut down on their carbohydrates and their sugar. That's, that's my recommendation. I personally do that myself. I'm on, I put myself on what's called a ketogenic diet, a low-carb, high-fat diet. It turns out, I think one of the safest things to eat is fat. Right, right. Like butter and avocados, right? What other kind of fat? Coconut oil? Yeah, and nuts. I eat a lot of nuts, nuts. and cheeses. Mm-hmm. I think those are, and, and even heavy cream. People think, God, heavy cream, that's that's bad for you, right? Well, not if you're eating not a lot of carbohydrates. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Have you tried coconut milk and whipped that up? It's really good as sort of a whipped cream kind of thing. Have you done that yet? I Dr. haven't, Hu? but I have to try that. You'll like that. Dr. Who says, and I think this is so great, one of his favorite things to do is to go to the grocery store, right? Dr. Who? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can get lost in a grocery store. <laughs> Number one, you know, I, I, I think also practicing gratitude is a good thing. And I'm in a grocery store. I'm like, whoa, what kind of society do we have here? How lucky are we to have all of these foods all over the place? But it's really fun because I like reading labels. Mm. Um, and there's, it turns out there's only about 1% of stuff in a grocery store that I can actually eat. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I think that that's still a lot. You know, that's still a lot of things in a grocery store. Right. Uh, so th- I think it's, it's very fun to go in there and read labels. And see what's in them. Yeah. Well, that's such <laughs> yeah. good advice for people to know what ingredients are in the foods yeah. they're buying mm-hmm. and eating. But you probably spend a lot of time on the outer rim of the grocery store because all the bad things are in the middle. Yeah, I, I eat a lot of green vegetables. I think you can eat as much of those as you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, green above the ground vegetables. 
below the ground, a little more carbohydrates. Uh, nuts, I think you can uh, go nuts with nuts. Uh, yeah, exactly. As nuts as you want. Uh, and, and I look at, what I look at on the label is the macronutrients. I look at the carbohydrates and I look at the fiber and you can subtract the fiber from the carbohydrates and get what's called the net carbohydrates. And so mm-hmm. I try to keep that low. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's, that is good. Hey, have you ever tried nutso? <laughs> I can't believe I'm like, have you ever tried nutso? You'd love it. It's like peanut butter, but it's like all these different nuts and seeds. It's in the grocery store. (laughs) I'll have to try it. You'll love it. You'll love it. I'll have to I'll have to try that. I haven't tried that. <laughs> it's just, I, I, I like nut butters though. Nut butters are great. Yeah, this is uh, this is like nut yeah. butters on steroids because it's all the nuts. It's all mixed in. It's like nuts. Seeds and nuts. Seeds and nuts, yeah. Um, yeah, I love almond butter. Yeah. Uh, almond butter is one of my favorites. Um, and I, I like the kind without any sugar in it. So I really like to see what kind has no sugar in it. Uh, and I like the kind that, you know, it's got two layers. It's got a little oil on the top. Right. All it has is almonds in it that has been mulched up. And so you got to stir it up and then put it in. And then put it, yeah. Oh, it's so good. So so good for you. (laughs) What is a a typical day for Doctor Who? How does that, when you wake up, what do you do? And then how does your day go? Okay. Yeah, that's great. When I I wake up, I usually, you know, I need to get more sleep. I usually wake up too early because now I have a lot of administrative responsibilities. So I have a lot of meetings that start at seven o'clock in the morning. So I wake up and I usually have a coffee that I've made the night before with heavy cream in it. So that's good. Mm. And then I, Wait, so oh, having, that sounds good. Wait, Wait so Doctor you, Who, back up. You make, it, food. Yes. <laughs> you make it the night before? I make, so it's cold. It's like uh-huh. chilled. Cold brew. Uh, cold brew. With, um, it's like cold brew. Uh, with some stevia in it and yeah. and some heavy cream. And so it's mm-hmm. it's chilled and it's really good. And so it's in the fridge and I take that. And I also yeah. have these zucchini almond butter muffins that my daughter made for me. She made Ooh. me like 80 of them. I have them in individual <laughs> wrapped bags in the freezer. So I take one of those out each night and I have this in the morning. And so it's really great. And then, so you know, I have a lot of meetings at work, but my favorite day is Wednesday morning because I get to see patients on Wednesday morning and, and that's just a lot of fun for me. Mm, yeah. So you so on Wednesday is Wednesdays you see the patients and then you get through the day and then w- what time do you get home? Seven or eight usually. But you know, people say, Oh, he works so hard. Well, it's, it's actually I have fun all day. It's just so much fun. And I think that's um, I think people need to do things that they have fun and find fulfilling. I, I find the majority of my day, lots of fun, very fulfilling. Uh, so it's not like working really. Right. It's making like such playing. a difference for people. Talk to us about what moonshot means at MD Anderson. Yeah. So a few years ago, our president, Ron DePino at the time started this program that he thought, well, let's do what Kennedy did to get to the moon, which is focus all our efforts on a few things, not try to do everything, but let's do a few things and do them really, really well. And so we did that for a number of diseases like pancreatic cancer. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're doing our T-cell study. It's because we're part of the pancreatic cancer moonshot. So we got a lot of scientists together, basic scientists, doctors, a lot of different translational people and immunologists, people who had never been in the field of pancreatic cancer. I had never done pancreatic cancer research at that time, right. but they had a moonshot. And so I got involved using my knowledge of immunology and it's been a lot of fun. And so it's a more focused effort and the goal is to cure pancreatic cancer. So 
we're working really hard on that. But it's been fun because we get to work with a lot of people that I normally wouldn't have worked with in the first place, but they're they're really tremendous. Right. How's the big pancreatic cancer center coming at MD Anderson? Uh, it's coming really uh, along really well. We have someone leading it, Anurban Maitra. Oh, wow. he's so great. We love him. John Hopkins. Yeah, Anurban is wonderful, and it's been a joy to work with. And then we have Agari Radachari, who's one of our pancreatic cancer doctors who's working there. Ron DePino himself is working with Raghu Kalori, and they have a great team. They have a big NIH grant called a Program Project Grant that they got studying pancreatic cancer. Wow. And of course, there's Bob Wolf, who you know well. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's mm-hmm. amazing. So how long do you think it's going to be till we see a cure in pancreatic cancer and all the other cancers? Well, <laughs> in a few months from now, we're going to treat our first patient with T-cells. And, wow. And, you know, we get a 50% response in melanoma with this. I'm hoping we see some patients respond to this. Um, we, we, we know that there are antigens. That's what the immune cells can recognize. We know they're on pancreatic cancer cells. So I think the challenge is there aren't enough immune cells, you say the T-cell is like a soldier, there's probably not enough soldiers in the body that can recognize these antigens on the pancreatic cancer cell. So that's why we want to grow these T-cells to billions outside Mm -hmm. of the body. We we want to grow these soldiers and then parachute them into the body through the vein. And so that's why we're excited about the T-cell therapy that we're going to try this year because we think there aren't enough soldiers in the body that recognize the pancreatic cancer and hopefully this will this will solve some of the issue but we'll see their pancreatic cancer is very tough and so we're going to take a bunch of approaches against it yeah and throw everything at it how many patients are going to have the opportunity for this well i hope up to 20 that's fabulous we'll see if we see uh, some results we'll we'll put lots of patients on right 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 we're going to start with the 20 that is fabulous news one of the things that I'm hearing is in your voice and, and you're saying it, that you find a lot of joy in your work. And I would think working in such a difficult field as cancer that you could have the tendency to, to get down and to be, you know, to be down and out about it. But yet you're not. And I'm wondering, how do you find that joy in your work? It can be challenging at times, and I, and I I have to even admit that sometimes it's brought me to tears when I get really close and, and, and therapies aren't working. But it's also been extremely fulfilling. The deep relationships that you can get as a cancer doctor with patients and their families can be extremely fulfilling. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I mean, and it's how I got to meet. Trisha. No, I know. So, I, I can say those. And your whole family. And our whole, yeah. Just having you there and getting to know us made our experience in a really interesting way. It was a healing journey and you were a huge part of that healing journey. Mm-hmm. And, and all of us are so grateful to you for that. Mm-hmm. And all of our field trips that we got to take <laughs> and our Sunday <laughs> afternoon conversations about nutrition <laughs> was just amazing. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, and and uh, that's when we got to talk a lot about nutrition together, and mm-hmm. uh, and also I think about it a lot, and 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 all of this effort is very motivating. All of this effort we're doing for pancreatic cancer research is in the name of Danny and others. That is so kind and so meaningful. And I remember you having a conversation with Danny, and you said to him that we're in this together, and that we're like Lewis and Clark. 
And that so inspired him that, that you all were going down this path of just an incredible, you're pioneers in what you were doing and you involved the patient in that. And I know that meant so much to Danny and to me. So yeah, the work you do is incredible. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Who, who would you say your mentors in your life have been? Steven Rosenberg, of course, uh, he's an immunologist at the NIH, was a wonderful mentor of mine. He really taught me a lot about science and about life. Others in the field, like Judah Folkman, who now has passed away, people who have shown me not just about science, but about character and how to be as a scientist. Also, my mentor here is Juan Kihong. He's just a tremendous guy. And, and they've really taught me what it's like to be a leader and how generous you have to be as a leader, they've taught me by example. So it's it's people like that that I, I've been very privileged to be around. What leadership qualities have you learned from them? What are the best leadership qualities? One is to be a, a servant leader and, and to help people without really needing to be recognized. Mm-hmm. So I know you're going to ask me about the quotes later, but there is a really <laughs> wonderful leadership quote by this guy, Lao Tzu. He was a... Um, an ancient Chinese philosopher many years ago, but but what he said was, the worst leaders are the ones that are feared and hated. And the middle of the road leaders are the ones that everyone says, what a great leader. But the absolute best leaders are the ones where everyone around them is successful. Mm. And they don't even realize the leader is the one who helped them along. (laughs) That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. And that is what you're like. God. Incredible. It's amazing that you're the type of person that, when I think of you, I think of you as a student, you know, you're studying everything. And I guess that approach you learned as a scientist, right? And that's, that's sort of the way you approach everything. Reading labels at the grocery store, you know, analyzing different kinds of things. Is that just the way your brain works? I'm just very curious guy and really excited about everything. Like, you know, I'm, I'm big into low carbohydrates. Well, last night I was up late reading about branch chain amino acids. I mean, there are all these studies now that too much protein is bad. Yes, too. yeah. So, uh, it's interesting. It's really interesting why. And it's possibly, you know, and it's a little scary because people take branch chain amino acids, that's isoleucine, leucine and valine, and they, they sometimes take supplements because it helps them build right. muscles. But right. got to be careful because that... These amino acids stimulate this pathway in in the cell that can lead to cancer and can lead to obesity and stimulates insulin production, which we know isn't good. Mm -hmm. So it it could be very much like taking too much carbohydrate. So, but that was fun. You know, I was just, uh, I was in bed reading and my wife was like, what are you looking up? And I'm (laughs) saying, branch chain amino acids. (laughs) That's amazing. Gosh. So the next 10 years, I guess, are going to be pretty significant in the area of of oncology, would you say? I think so. People used to ask me, you know, aren't you depressed? You know, just taking care of patients with melanoma, there's nothing you can do for them. But now there's a lot we can do for them in stimulating the body's immune system. And our goal is now to try to take that to all cancers. So I think I've told you 50 years from now, I think cancer is going to be a rare reason to cause anyone's death. Mm, It might still happen. Be like pneumonia now. Like people still die of pneumonia, but it's rare. It's like, he died of pneumonia. That's a little unusual. Right. Uh, 
that's why it's going to be like 50 years from now. But I think if we focus and, and use this, we know so much now about the genes that cause cancer, how the immune system works. Uh, there's no reason why we can't compress that time to 10 or 20 years. I, I think if we all work hard and have a huge investment by the community, we could do that. Mm-hmm. How much does it cost to cure cancer? I mean, it must cost a lot of money. It will take a lot of investment to do this. <laughs> every experiment, every mouse, some of the mice that we have to buy are like $90 each. <laughs> it's, a, it's amazing. It is going to be expensive, but 500,000 people die a year of cancer in this country alone. Mm-hmm. So think if, if we had that many deaths from plane crashes or terrorists or anything, think about the investment that our community would put into it. Right. So. We're putting several billion dollars a year into it, but I think with 500,000 people dying a year, people should be a little more alarmed. And and, and I think, uh, and the opportunity is so great because the science is so exciting now Mm -hmm. that we could really accelerate things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how do you see an, a bioindividuality in, in the cancer world? I mean, every body is different, right? So every body is nourished a different way. So I guess that's really what immunotherapy is, right? It's sort of taking your body as the unique body that it is, and it's using its own cells to fight it, right? So that's almost the epitome of, of bioindividuality. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. That your immune cells can recognize different kinds of viruses, and it can recognize different kinds of cancers. And everybody's cancer is a little different. Right. But you're right; everybody's immune system is different too. We may have to figure out if someone has immune type one or immune type two. We may need to stimulate them with different things. And, and we're talking a lot about diet and nutrition. It might be that some people need one kind of nutrition, and right. another person needs another kind. And I think that's probably very true. I mean, we've seen that in a lot of people. Some people Mm -hmm. actually do need to eat red meat, your grass-fed red meat, and others just don't do well with it. So it is, it's everybody's different. And they need to know, I think, what what does nourish them. Mm -hmm. It's part of of their own personal responsibility. I think that's right. Um, Dr. Who, just a little aside, are you still in your band? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm in two bands. Oh, two? Uh, we, We just played... At this um, uh, place called the Firehouse Saloon. It's actually this saloon owned by an ex-fireman. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of a classic little place here in Houston. Uh, we did it with our band, The Checkmates, which is our Houston band. It's got mm-hmm. Jim Allison, who's a pioneer in immunotherapy, <laughs> and a few others at MD Anderson in it. We have a whole horn section, and we did this fundraiser for this place called Halo House, which is kind of like the Ronald McDonald House for patients who fly in from all over. We're trying to raise money to build this apartment complex for them. Mm. Uh, So we raised $50,000. So I was really happy about that. Wow. So when do you practice? Here in Houston, we practice once every month or so. Uh, with band. Uh, we also have a, a, a band called the Checkpoints, which plays at our big conference in Chicago every year. That one, everyone's from around the country, so we don't get to practice that much. We just <laughs> practice the night before and we play. Uh, we're going to be there in June at this place called Buddy Guys. We used to play at the House of Blues, but this year we're going to play at this place, Buddy Guys. So if you're in Chicago in June, early June, come see us. That would be fun. What do you'd play in the band the guitar yeah i play the keyboard Uh, um, i have a a wonderful keyboard that sounds like a hammond b3 which is (laughs) the classic rock blues (laughs) organ just so much fun 
I picked it because it had a great sound, also because I could lift it. I, I, yeah. I used to have this keyboard. I needed to get my wife, Katie, to help me get it in the car, but you know, <laughs> she never had time for that. So that's why I, I picked it. I went to the music store and I lifted a bunch of boards like, I can lift this one. <laughs> that's great. That's amazing. But then you have time to, to do your, your lab. So you, do you still have your lab as well? Yeah, I do. And and Monday is my favorite lab day because I have I can meet with my postdocs and graduate students and they're just um, they're really wonderful people and so hardworking. I have, they're from all over the, the the world. I have a couple from the Netherlands, uh, for example. I have one postdoc, Simone from the Netherlands, who you know they have these little tiny cars in in, in the Netherlands because mm-hmm. they have these little streets in Amsterdam. I don't know if you've ever been to Amsterdam, but they they all, all drive these little cars. Well, she moved to Houston and she got herself a a big pickup truck. So I, I teach her about She's that. having the whole experience. Yeah, she got a Ford F-150. That's <laughs> very Texas, very Texas car, very Texas truck. Dr. Hood, are you a mindfulness practitioner? Yes. I think nourishing the mind is important. That's one of the reasons I do music is so we can balance out the right side of the brain. I think we've, we're we so left brain now in, in society and Mm. And I, I totally feel different when I've devoted some time to music in my right brain. It just balances uh, me out, helps the creativity, the, the calmness. I recommend it to my patients because uh, there are some studies now that if you um, take a beta blocker, which is a kind of high blood pressure medicine, it blocks the adrenaline pathway, that melanoma comes back less often. Oh, now, wow. I don't recommend a beta blocker because that medicine has a lot of side effects, but I think you can get the same effects by meditating. And so I, I, I always recommend that to my patients. And if you restrain a mouse and cause it stress, if you just restrain a mouse so it can't move one hour a day, the tumors will grow faster in the mouse. So I think it just tells you that stress is not good. And anyway, stress doesn't help you at all anyway, you know? Worrying, uh, people worry way too much about stuff, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, stress is not not good. And, and, and just, again, experiencing you, Dr. Who, and your practice of mindfulness, when you are, you're calm. You are calm in crisis situations. And it, I know it's so appreciated by your patients. I know it was with us. And it's such a gift to those around you. Do you do you see how you're different, or has this just always been the way it is? Have you practiced mindfulness for a long time? You know, maybe for the last fifteen years or so. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to not be so calm, and, and it wasn't. <laughs> it was just not comfortable, and I had to change something up. It was just I was worrying way too much about whether I get this grant or that, or how I was perceived, and it was just not healthy. So I had to change something. And so that's why I, I switched it up. And, and I, it's really helped me do a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. In fact, I can do a lot more in my day. When you're not spending your energy worrying and stressing, you actually have a lot more energy to be productive. It's, it's really changed my life. It's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just is. I mean, it is something that's available to everybody. It's just a matter of really finding it right and being open to it. How did, how did you find it or how did you get started in mindfulness with, well, with what practice? I was, I was being very, I came from the NIH to MD Anderson about 15 years ago and I was doing really well. I was getting all these grants, this 
getting all these papers written. And my boss, Dr. Hong at the time, uh, was, it was telling me, you know, you're doing so well, but then he would always add more on. Oh, now, why don't you do this? Now, why don't you do this? And I just felt like I was on a treadmill that just kept getting ramped up and up. And I felt like I was going nuts a little bit, you know? Right. And I had to stop that. And, and so I, I, I read this book, Wherever You Go, There You Are. John uh, you know, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. John because you, you're friends with the author. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and it really helped me. And I, I did some retreats, which were really helpful. And, and I've done a lot of reading and self-reflection. It took a number of years to really learn and understand myself. But it's made me a much calmer person mm-hmm. and, and someone who, and I'm much happier. Mm. Yeah. Are you an exerciser? Do you have time? I need to exercise more. I, yeah. I, I, you walk I a lot, uh, right? Sometimes. And when I do, I, I swim uh, a lot. When I do that, I feel a whole lot better. I think exercise is extremely important. I actually think your diet is more important than exercise. It's probably 70% of it, but 30% is exercise. Exercise helps you stay functional, helps your balance mm-hmm. as you get older. It's more important not to eat, overeat, not to be obese, not, not to... um eat too much carbs, but I think exercise is important too. I, I need to do it more. There's this workout, the seven minute workout. Have you ever tried that? No. Oh, not the seven minute, the 12 minute. What's the seven minute? Oh, it's probably very similar. It's like a, um, 12 exercise, 30 seconds each. Right, and, right. Okay. And, and you do, it's pretty intense, but, and I do it twice sometimes, but it only takes seven minutes each round. I have a little app for it. it it's a good quick way to get a workout in. That's yeah, good. That's yeah. Awesome. It's really good. So, Dr. Who, we have questions that we ask all our guests at the end of our podcast. And so, we want to ask you the same questions. And so, what book do you think everyone should read? The New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Mm. I think it's a wonderful book about <laughs> mindfulness and, and the ego, really getting in touch with your own ego and how we evolved probably to be too worried about what other people think of us. Mm-hmm. What quote brings you strength and peace? It's probably that quote that I told you about Lao Tzu, uh, about what a leader does. The best leader is a leader that can help everybody, and no one even knows they were helped. Mm-hmm. Someone in the background who can just propel people forward. Mm-hmm. What would you say to your 30-year-old self? That wasn't Stop worrying about everything. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I worried about so much stuff back then, especially <laughs> about what other people think of you. Mm. You know what I tell my faculty? I tell them, you shouldn't worry about what I think of you. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's good. They're also worried about if I think they're doing a good job or not. They, <laughs> they shouldn't care. They should just care about what they think of themselves. Yeah, right. That's so true. (laughs) And even then, they should be compassionate to themselves. A lot of times people are too hard on themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, be kind. Be kind to yourself. (laughs) Absolutely. Doctor Who, what's your favorite meal? You know what I've been into lately? (laughs) Shirataki noodles. Oh. Oh, yum. Is that Japanese? Yeah, these are amazing noodles. They're they're mostly fiber. They're ten calories a packet. You can get them at Kroger or Whole Foods. Really has the best best selection of it. They're in these liquid packages, but it's a shirataki noodle. It's mostly fiber, but it holds your sauces and other things. You can make soups out of it, um, and it's 
almost no calories, mostly fiber. And fiber is important for a number of things. It's also important for your microbiome, which is really exciting research being done now about bacteria in your gut. Mm -hmm. Fiber probably helps make the right kinds of bacteria for you to be healthy. Mm -hmm. We have to try that. Yeah. Well, you know what? You know who did that? Casey. She eats those like crazy. She does. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so if you could sit next to anyone at dinner tonight, who would you pick? Well, if it couldn't be Doro and Trisha, you mean? Oh, yeah, yes, it could be. Yes. <laughs> you guys are awfully fun to have dinner with. I, can, I, I tell you that much. You know, uh, there's a lot of laughter. Yeah. You know, when are you coming Doro to D.C.? So. Yeah, when do you come back up to D.C.? Let us know and we'll we'll have dinner. Yeah, that's great. But but I would um, I, I love having dinner with my wife, Katie, and my two daughters. That's uh, what I really cherish. I yes. bet. I bet. That's wonderful. Well, Doctor Who, thank you. Oh for my gosh, joining thank you us so much. So good to hear your voice, and we just again are so grateful to you. So grateful for all you did for Trisha and Danny and all of us. So appreciative. Well, I care a lot about you guys, and it's always so much fun and and, and very fulfilling for me to talk to you. <laughs> thank you. And we'll, always lift me up. Well, we will we will same. be present when you get your Nobel Prize yeah, we'll for right your there. research and work <laughs> in immunotherapy. We will be in the front row. <laughs> I don't really care about what people think. I know, of me, so I I know you don't care, but we'll be there. <laughs> the other thing we have to do before this lifetime is over is we do have to go into the food business. So Dr. Who leaned over and goes, look, we should come up with a food we can make and sell. Yes. So we should do that. <laughs> so I would think, love to do that. Uh, you know, I think the food industry, we there's such opportunity to make good food so that instead of 1% of what's in the grocery store, I could eat 50% of it. I know. Someone's going to clean up who does know. You know, there's we so should... many opportunities to make healthy food. Have you guys heard the term hash around or hash around or something where you stay up all night for a weekend and you just brainstorm? I'll get the right term, but it's like this term everyone's throwing around. Have you heard of that, Dr. Who? <laughs> I'll, uh, Jenny no, 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 but but when you guys want to do a food company together, let me know. Okay, we'll, <laughs> we will. We'll, we'll do it. I, I I'm ripe to do that. I actually think we could probably. I'm trying to think if I made a new cancer drug or if I that'd just be awesome. The food industry with you guys. What would be more influence and save more lives? Probably the latter. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be well, fun, well, definitely. <laughs> Thank awesome. you, Doctor. Thanks Hill. so much. Thanks so much. Have a great evening. All right, talk you to you too. later. Bye bye. All right, all right, bye bye. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well.